Hey, this is Zoe. I'm here with Vampire, and today we have a special interview for you. Um, we're going to be featuring some of Nico Scolieri's music and talking to him about what inspires him and also how he creates his music. Um, we, Nico and I kind of go way back. <laughs> um, we went to school together, lived in LA, and actually played um, live music together. We haven't done any electronic stuff yet, uh, but I love what he puts out. And so he is Bay Area born and raised and um, currently lives in Washington, D.C. So, hey, Nico. Hey, so great to hear from you, Zoe. It's been a little while. I know, I know. Uh, well, I haven't seen you in maybe a year and a half, two years. Yeah, well, you've been bouncing around. I've been bouncing around. That's kind of how it goes sometimes, right? Yeah, definitely with music work and you know, following the opportunities. Mm -hmm. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself um, and a little bit about your musical background? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up playing the flute, which is one of those big, like, uh, ancient things. Like, you know, sometimes singers talk about like the first song or whatever. It, the, it's the instrument that I think was one of the oldest is the flute. Um, and I think you hear that in the breath and the wind and the melodies and how it's timed and all that other stuff. So that's kind of my introduction to music. But what I've been finding recently is that you can't always play flute with, with everybody. You can't walk around with a flute and be like, I want to play flute with you. I want to play flute with you. I want to play flute with you. Because yeah. <laughs> people don't respond with that. Uh, it's like flute. What? What are you playing flute for? But a lot of the, like the ideas behind crafting a melody or, you know, feeling out feeling out how to play together with other people and and find your role I think that's one thing that I did as a player a lot was like if I'm playing in this rock band what do I have to do to make it feel like I'm welcome here as a musician as a you know somebody who's playing with other people whatever and those skills I think they show up in a lot of things in a lot of um all kinds of different music all kinds of different stuff electronic and other stuff too one of the big things that I'm into is ecosystems. So if you can make a band sound like an ecosystem, if you can make a piece of electronic music, something that somebody listens to with their earbuds in, you've got the stereo field, you know, there's so much opportunity to like create something that like functions and fits together and feels right. Um, that's kind of what I'm chasing because they say you're supposed to always have a mission, right? And one of the big problems in capitalism and in a lot of society is that we don't feel welcome, we feel isolated, we feel lonely, we feel like a lot of the, our problems are our fault, but they're the system's fault, so what we got to do is make systems that work for us, and, and that's what I'm trying to do, mathematically, musically, all that stuff. That's me. <laughs> that's my mission. Hell yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's like such a precise and also just a lot to think about mm. um, in an introduction. You were mentioning the flute and, yeah. you know, because I know you and we've played music together, I know you have that acoustic and live instrumental background. Mm -hmm. um, and you've also written for acoustic instruments. Sure. Right? Yeah. yeah. I feel like there's a couple like tunes I wrote. I played one of the great instruments to play and record, not record, but to write with is the guitar. That's one thing that I have in my bed right now. Um, I'm sitting in my bed. I have the guitar like two feet away from me and I'm looking at it because like having that at home where you can just sit down and you can just sit on your lap and like play through an idea and kind of like, I don't know, experience that like accompanying, not accompanying, like if I'm singing along to it or whatever, that like role is really interesting. So yeah, there's a lot of roles in acoustic instruments, like how it feels to just pick up an instrument and do it. Yeah, I th I think I've written a little bit with the guitar. I've written with some other stuff in mind too. Not as much recently, but yeah, it's nice. I, I like having the guitar at home. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's always fun. I I don't play play guitar, but I know how to read and mm. you know, like when you can read the chart pretty fluidly, mm -hmm. and it's always a good time. <laughs> You know what I mean? You just pick it up. It's in your. I love. I love just it picking it up. What I do is I'll chill. pick it up and I'll be like, plunk, 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 plunk. Yeah, you know, that kind of shit. Yeah. 
All I want to do is funk around on it. I've written a little bit acoustic stuff, but it's different kind of writing, right? Like when you write acoustic music, when you write for people to read your writing and look at it and say, okay, I can play this, okay, I can play this. You're doing a kind of like notation that is like guiding. Like you say, here's a note that like happens here. How you get there, the way you feel when you play it. Like, do you, are you leading all the people that are playing that note at that time? Or are you like supporting those people? All that stuff is like, you don't have any control over that if you're writing for acoustic instruments or for a band. You kind of just have to feel that out. And like, there's little things that you can do, like put a grace note or whatever. But a lot of that stuff, it just gets too crazy. You want to be able to have a conversation with the people you play music with. The flip side of that is when, when I'm doing these kind of soundscapes and when I'm making electronic music and when I'm like programming stuff, when I'm coding, um, when I'm writing patches, when I'm, you know, turning knobs and stuff, all of that is like super, I guess it's, um, it's like, uh, every sound you make and every place it gets put, you have like full and total control over like the sound of it, the EQ of it, like the you know, how much, how much this, how much that. And it can get a little overwhelming when you're in the computer and you're just like, Oh, I have so much that I can control about this. Right. Um, I don't know, like writing, writing for like computer music and writing for live instrumentation is like, you're, you're working with a completely different, um, it's like, uh, it's like you're painting with a different brush, right? Like, you're not using paints. You're using watercolor or whatever. It's like, whoa, I just have so much less control over one thing and so much more control over that thing, you know? Yeah, definitely. That's a great analogy, too. Because mm-hmm. it is, yeah, it's all music and you're writing, but it's very different mm-hmm. materials. Yeah. So then how did you get started in with making electronic music and kind of using all your synths and the different <laughs> hard hardware stuff that you use now? I think it was when I left California and when I started really like diving headfirst into like programming stuff like that. When I was in when I was in the Bay Area, it was all about playing music with people. And when I actually moved back to the Bay Area from L.A., it was like uh, I don't even want to because I was doing ambient music in L.A. And I, I was doing like I played a couple live shows with the delay box and I ran the flute through a delay box and I was like, you know, there was a couple other musicians with me and we were like, you know, making ambient sounds and like, oh, we're using hardware, but we're here with one another and like improvising or whatever. And then I moved back up to the Bay Area and it's like, okay, the only musicians who I really know and who I love are rock musicians. And like, I can't be sitting there going, let me make this beautiful whoosh, whoosh sound with the flute and, you know, eh, delay it with this and that. It's like, forget it, dude. <laughs> like, we're just trying to rock. And so I said, okay, I'm not going to bring any of that stuff out. I'm just going to have the flute and I'm going to walk into these these clubs and just play rock music. And I don't know, I don't know, like I know that there's electronic music happening in the Bay Area and I, and I have seen it and I love it because I think the mindset is a little more with that. I don't know. But so LA has an ambient music community and that was where I was like really kind of playing around with, there's a few musicians who you might remember. Um, we played on the radio a couple of times, which was a blast to just like sit there and just like zone out for an hour and just make soundscapes. But when I moved to DC, I didn't really feel that same, like it was, it's not, it's like a good positive pressure to go out and just take the flute and just try things with people and just like, just be your one hand on the flute and not be bringing a microphone, not be bringing a, you know, a pedal board or whatever. It's just like, not even think about that. There wasn't that same like drive here in DC um for me and so what I ended up doing was it's a consequence of where you work I came out here to work for NPR and then I ended up working for the Smithsonian after that and it's like those circles are very much like contemporary art if you're thinking about soundscapes you're not really thinking about performing soundscapes you're thinking about sound design you're thinking about um, like installation artwork and you're thinking about um, I mean, that's the world that you play in as, as somebody who works with these kind of things. So, I, I mean, you just you go with the flow, right? I mean, that's what's happening here. There's a great museum called the Hirshhorn, which uh, we did this like event at called Sound Scene recently. I think that was two weeks ago. Where it was just a festival of like different sound art pieces. And I was working on one that was like, um, I mean, it's kind of funny to say it out <laughs> <laughs> but when you're there and you see it, it's kind of tight. Um, plants, hooking up contact microphones, specific kind of like 
um, like, I don't know, uh, I don't really know how to describe it, but these microphones you hook up to, hook up to plants and then you can send signals through into um, the computer and, and in and around a couple cents. And depending on how you touch the plant and where you touch it, it affects different um, like parameters with the That's music. so cool. I mean, it was really <laughs> fun so to set cool. up. I mean, and then the Hirschhorn was all into it, of course. And anyway, so that was one thing at Sound Scene. And that was very much like this, like contemporary art, heady, like scene. And I mean, that's just what's happening here. That's DC. That's like at least downtown, like, <laughs> you know, uh, Washington, DC, <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. as opposed to DC, DC. But so there's been a little bit of that. I'm working on a piece for this postal museum right now, the Smithsonian Postal Museum. So that's like more of a, like I said earlier, like an exhibit focused soundscape. Where I'm, I'm chopping up plane sounds because they have an exhibit on airmail, early airmail and like early planes and stuff. So that's like, that's the scene. And what that has meant is that that's how I'm working with sound right now. And it's been a gift okay. because I've been able to start, you know, playing with this, this equipment more and, and coding more and learning a little bit about how digital audio works and about how analog audio works and kind of like navigating that because that's another thing about medium is that like if you really know what you're working with things come quickly so that's what i'm learning mm -hmm. and it's a and consequence it's, of space you know yeah so that all that's all the soundscape work you're doing in the sound ecology really started in dc then the soundscape ecology stuff is been on my mind since we were in school and it was because i okay. i had read no 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 i think it was there's a guy named sean mccardle who's like really into like rock music plays guitar and is like, you remember this guy from school vaguely <laughs> uh it doesn't I, matter i would need a visual description yeah and, and i, I could know. give you a visual description because he had a look he had an absolute look okay but, uh but he's from berkeley too actually um and uh he wrote a paper about audio mimesis and he shared it in one of our classes. And I was like, I've never heard that term first and foremost. Me neither. And second of all, I freaking love it. Like, tell me more, tell me everything. <laughs> audio mimesis is this idea that um, in some music, what is performed is actually mimicking sounds that already exist musically. So mm. if you hear a bird call and it goes, and you play the flute and you go, ba -ba -ho, ba -ba -ho, whatever. This is audio mimesis in its simplest form. But there's some, you know, um, there's some like music communities where that skill, being able to mimic audio or mimic sound, is even more important than like a lot of other things that we might consider really important. <clears throat> some places where instead of saying who your teacher is, <clears throat> you talk about it like, oh, I spent a lot of time in the river and I, you know, or, or around rivers and like, that's just how I play is like a river or whatever. And you're like, what? And, you, and then you kind of investigate it and you say like, well, if a river goes like, well, you know, if I am thinking about those rhythms, and those notes, like which notes get picked out and that's how you're learning music, forget about it. Like, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I mean, and, and, and that's how human beings have learned sound from time immemorial, right? Like if you go back as right. we evolve, like. One of the big things that I always talk about when I talk about soundscape ecology is like, obviously as a flute player, birds are huge, but um, one of the reasons why birds make us feel calm, like when you hear bird song, is because if a bird goes quiet, it likely means that there's a predator around. If they go silent and I notice, then I'm more likely to survive. So... Right. take that to the next level and you think okay so if i hear birds that means i should be more calm so if i play the flute that makes me spreading this feeling of calm welcoming no predators around that exists That's for so beautiful. much other stuff it's like it's gorgeous it's a great i don't know I, i'm into that stuff that's kind of where it started soundscape ecology and i was like okay what could i do recording nature sounds uh what could i do you know making music that is ecosystem music what could i do you know um, and then so much of that field is like about preserving ecology and, and stuff like that. So conservation work and I don't know, 
it's a, it's a huge burgeoning field that's growing right now and sound artists biologists tons of people are in on it so is that how you would describe soundscape ecology to you know listeners who've never heard this term before <laughs> it's a mess of a term isn't it it started with audio mimesis for me and it has kind of blown up into all of these different things but um yeah i mean soundscape ecology it's like it's a growing field there are people around the world who are doing work with conservationists who are doing work with sound artists, all this other stuff. And I think it's a really huge part of what we're going to do as we build the future society that we all want to live in, right? Where we're, we're fighting climate change, we're doing all this stuff. Um, but also it's really good for the mind, the human mind. I don't know. There's so It's like, that's why I say it feels like a blowing up. How would I describe soundscape ecology? It's a commitment to, um, to, thinking critically about the sound world that we inhabit as human beings that we um we have a hand in as human beings like things that we're affecting and um and being critical and aware of the things that we're doing sonically um to communities outside ourselves within ourselves all this other stuff within our own mind there's so much stuff that like we affect with sound there's like a lot of car noise whatever there's the way you build buildings so that it minimizes that, where you put trees so that you can mask sounds, where you put, um, or, or what kind of what kind of wine that certain cars put out. There's a bird in San Francisco. You can look this up. It blew me away when I read this. This is probably six years ago. A new car came out in like the 90s. I don't know what brand, but it was the first car to put out this kind of wine as it like drove. And that was the exact pitch that a certain kind of bird in the Presidio was singing. And then the bird in a, in like a amazing, like I have so much respect for this bird in like those, you know, I think it was like, I can't remember how many years, but that they were checking on this bird. You can see year after year, the bird's call starts to rise because it's like moving away from that new car. It says, I don't want to be competing with this car. I'm going to move. I mean, wow. we are able to do that as human beings. We have just the same amount of malleability that those birds have, maybe more, because we got these huge brains that we don't know what to do with. <laughs> we just mal- if we just move a little bit, we move certain things. We design stuff in a way that like gets out of it gets out of other animals' way, gets out of other you know ecosystem. We just move around and we just are thinking critically about where we end up. That's the like commitment that a soundscape ecologist has is to like kind of move around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that's beautiful yeah i think that that I, bird is a soundscape ecologist that's what i think i agree a pioneer in the field the presidio birds yeah <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna google that as soon yeah as we I, I, yeah 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 you should depart <laughs> wow so i was listening to i was on your website yeah um which i love by the way thank the you graphics are awesome <laughs> i know i love <laughs> the that visuals aesthetic. are great <laughs> this is the gifts yeah. I love it. You created it. I I was that was like another one of those fits where it's like I want to learn how to code. Well, that's not coding really. That's HTML. But when I when I learned pure data, I was like I need to I need to do this thing with audio. I need to do this thing. So, so I was like I was in that mode where I was like I want to learn, you know, what this is. And I saw this '90s kind of GIF aesthetic and stuff, and I said I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> what can I do to make that happen? And so I had I had fun making that. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, so, you know, of course, yeah, I love those visuals. Definitely a throwback. Um, but also, when I listen to the tracks that you have online, mm-hmm. like available for folks to listen to, there's such a wide variety of stuff. Mm-hmm. You have your storytelling, which actually, like, I didn't know you did at all. <laughs> I, I knew about all the music, but, uh, and, you know, radio and archiving, you got a lot of tricks up your sleeve. <laughs> but uh you know i i didn't know about the stories and then you have some funky music you have some landscapes that you've done field recordings for mm, um yeah and then you also have like acoustic and electronic self-created uh songs mm-hmm. that's that's phenomenal dude <laughs> um i'm glad i mean it's i think it's really it's really cool and the variety that you have i was thinking about how it made me feel, right? Because mm. when we're thinking about environments, environments are, there's so much that go into them. 
-hmm. But when you think about how an environment affects a person and how we interact with our environment, there's so much that goes into it. And it's a really surrounding Mm. thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in listening to your tracks, there was that feeling as well, whether it was something you did with your flute with a looper Mm -hmm. or, you know, it was a field recording. I felt, I mean, you know, of course you listen to it with good headphones and I felt totally (laughs) surrounded and relaxed, you know, like if you're sitting in the field, right? Mm -hmm. I felt relaxed, but then also very present because of the movement that was there throughout the whole, um, pretty much the whole piece and throughout each piece there's whether it's a bird going by or Mm -hmm. you know wind rushing past your ears oh i'm really into that i'm really into the motion thing Oof, that feels good uh yeah i think part of its intention right just the fact that i'm going out and recording something to begin with with Mm -hmm. regard to the field recording stuff just the fact that i'm going out and recording something is like built-in intention which is like the lifeblood of any creative work is intention right so Mm -hmm. You pick up on that immediately um, as a listener, and that's awesome. That feels great. The surrounding movement stuff, that is like, because you kind of have to manufacture that. You can't just sit and go any place and press play, and then it's worth recording immediately. You kind of have to be like, okay, what, how big does this have to feel? How small does this have to feel? Like, well, how does this, how's this going to feel right? So, I mean, they each have a different thing, but that, that is the, like the um, the part that you're listening for, that's in in anything in any of these things. Like you said, that it could be, it could be uh, you know electronic, acoustic, field recording, just instruments. Like that, it can be any of those things and still have that feeling is really like flattering and speaks to the intention. And do you want to talk about that motion and that movement? Mm-hmm. The motion, like where and that movement. comes from. I mean. You know, in a song and in environments, when there is life, yeah. there is movement, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, songs move forward. But um, but the ecosystems don't really. Yeah, I, that's it's like breaking breaking down. Okay, what counts as a song? Like, I don't know. I was thinking about. Um, I was I've been thinking pretty heavy about uh, like, Muzak recently. Like, if if okay. environmental sound the way that I'm making it and the way that I'm interested in it, is that anything like Muzak? And why do I hate Muzak so much and love environmental (laughs) sound? Like, what's the difference between those two things? Um, And I think it's because the way that Muzak is built is like distilling what makes a pop song work and then using it for something that is not that, Mm -hmm. right? Like the way that people listen to, like the way that people make a hot song, like like Lil Nas X, like he's been at, fucking number one longer than anybody in history right with old town road yeah he just beat mariah Carey. i mean fucking can't beat that dude gay black man at the top fucking rock on you know what i mean um but but old town road is built in a really specific way right and any song that reaches that kind of thing is built in a really specific way and it has a certain amount of time for this and a certain amount of time for that and a certain amount of time for that you're breaking up time and it maybe it's not on purpose whatever it doesn't matter the point is that the way that it feels to listen to a pop song isn't the way that it feels to be in a space and to feel relaxed and to feel present and all those things. It's a different kind of it. It's a different kind of attention. Mm-hmm. And where music fails and where environmental sound succeeds is recognizing that. And it's saying like, what I'm not, I'm not trying to fake a song in order to use a song as background for this experience what i'm instead doing is i'm listening to how often things happen and this is why i feel like anything should have a place which is why the storytelling stuff is so like it feels so right to me to to have like the mountain for instance i didn't just make that and be like this sounds like a mountain i was like i need to describe what's happening and then use those descriptions in order to make the music happen because the timing of a fountain the timing of the light hitting cold rock the timing of all that shit like feeling wise that's what's going to dictate when things change musically and i need to say it out loud what's happening in order to make it clear why those musical things are happening with the timing that they are because they don't function on their own as a song it's just it has to be different um like like i don't know what i was just sitting in my sitting out in my backyard earlier tonight and um 
there's these two cardinals, which are birds that you don't see on the West Coast, and they're bizarre birds, by the way. Um, and the the there's some of them that are like bright red, and some of them that are brown, and they have bright orange beaks. And the ones with the orange beaks make a different sound than the ones that aren't. The sounds that they make and when they make the sounds, like how often one of them talks and how often the other talks, are different. But oftentimes you'll see both. What that means is that the frequency, not like pitch-wise, but like how often one of them calls and how often the other one calls, are different. And because both calls are different, you have an inherent, like, and it's not a balance. It's just like some of those calls are going to be there and some of those calls are going to be there. Um, how often, you know, the air conditioner across the street goes off is also part of that same recurring system. How often, you know, a plane goes over is also part of the same recurring system. It's just bigger than I can hear when I'm out there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I can hear certain things that, that like line up and this is like, (laughs) um, in, in the modular world, you see this with envelope generators a lot. You can malt uh these like rising and falling slopes oscillating and add them together so that you get really long ones Mm. and that's what we're kind of working with with an ecosystem it's not like you don't have an a b a b c situation with with environmental sounds you have like um you have things that come and go and interact with each other as they're coming and going and passing each other and uh, and and the regularities and and that's like the kind of temporality that you're working with. It's different. Yeah. Uh, I love I love what you have to say, man. Because <laughs> now I'm I'm thinking about that. You know, when you when you recall moments when you're sitting in the park mm-hmm. alone, right? Or you travel, or you're hiking, and so you're in a less populated area. Mm-hmm. And you close your eyes. Like that, that is exactly what's happening. You're taking in all these sounds and they are recurring. Like, so I was in, over the summer, I was in Malaysia, right? Mm -hmm. I was traveling with my friend and we're in the, we go like, you know, in the national protected jungle area. And I'm just like sitting there recording and you're hearing the same bird. You're hearing like five different birds Mm -hmm. and a, a monkey occasionally, and then a motorcycle. Mm. And these things all happen like they are reoccurring, right? But Mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. They're reoccurring on top of and next to and interchangeably with each other. Mm. Yeah. There's not necessarily, it's like there's not a rhyme or reason to where they come in and out, but it, at the same time, it feels that way. Like if there was motorcycles going all the time, it would sound different, right? But how often the motorcycle comes compared to, like, when the motorcycle lines up with the bird, like, that's not what you're working with. It's like a, yeah, I totally hear that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think then conceptualizing it in terms of making your own soundscape is, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, So that's the trick is that, like, is it just something that should be experienced when you go out on a hike? Or is it something that ought to be recorded? And if so, when do you record? And, like what counts as the right thing to record? Is it just aesthetic? Like, because if it's just aesthetic, then you're imposing the same pop song sensibility that you had before (laughs) on something that isn't like that. Or are you making things from scratch or what? And, And I'm just like, it's kind of an overwhelming thing because especially as I'm reading more about soundscape ecology and like the, the sick toxic hand that humans have had in so many like ecosystems. Um, what, like, what right do I have to, to, work with this this stuff and and the thing that i've come to is like what we were talking about before that evolution thing is like recorded sound is our opportunity and it's an opportunity that has only been around for like a certain amount of decades um recorded sound is our opportunity as human beings to like investigate how we evolved sonically and to and 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 to go out and be like okay what what world did me and my ancestors like grow up in musically, sonically, all those things. Why do we speak the way we do? Why do we think with the same rhythms that we do? Why do we, you know, interact with the sounds that we do? All those things, like being aware of where we're coming from, being aware of like where we're at right now, the level past that is recreating evolution, I think. 
in in this weird kind of like way wow. as best as i can describe it <laughs> you just yeah you took me out there man <laughs> took me on another i yeah re okay recreating evolution <laughs> sonically yeah i mean you, I, got, you got to write a book that's really that's what i'm gathering from this interview <laughs> well that's the thing is that book. i'm reading i'm reading a lot of shit i'm like the, the stuff that i'm getting really into is um urban design recently i've been reading about mm -hmm. urban design especially socialist urban design because you'll have these like cities that are built for workers and are built for workers to have good lives and have time away from work and to have you know that eight eight and eight thing where you have eight hours of um, work and eight hours of play and eight hours of sleep and what do you do in that play time like are you stressed for this and that so I'm thinking about that kind of urban design and I'm thinking about okay how do we urban design with you know a, a good future for humanity in mind how do we because there's going to be more and more people and it's not because we're making more and more people that is causing the destruction of the earth it's about how we're managing ourselves and about you know how we're placing ourselves in the world so the more i'm reading about that the more i'm thinking about design and what can i do as somebody who's not an urban designer <laughs> to to make sense of that oh it's make music um i'm reading a little bit more about i don't know there's a lot there's a lot i'm reading um you know it's when i think about these these things like recording soundscapes or creating them yeah i i think about those cds that like my mom used to try like have me listen to to go to sleep when i was little oh and that like you might find at walmart or when you think about that cheesy like waterfall cover oh yeah 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 or like just you know straight up pine forest sure i'm like, into that very shit. edited i i love that yeah shit. i think about how when i was younger i was like this is kind of cheesy and then I got into it. Like as I got older, uh -huh. I'm like, these waves are really calming. And then, yeah. you know, starting to record your own waves or Oh, waves are tight. Um, waves are tight. Oh, I did this, I did this soundscape. You're gonna flip. I did this soundscape for Sitters in Memory, which is a project based out of Oxford. And it's like a, it's an amazing, amazing project. Um but they do these like regular um like I don't know, like bigger groups of stuff. And one of them is called Sounding Nature, which is full of awesome stuff. The one that I did was about noise and about waves. That waves can be really calming. Like, you're feeling that rhythm. That was even really much faster than it would be, just because I'm talking right. faster than, you know, but than I would be if I was asleep. But waves are supposed to be really calming. But noise, like flat white noise, is just... And if you just play that, you're going to go nuts real quick because it's super not good for the human ear to be just like bombarded with straight flat noise. So what's the difference? If if you can recreate the sound of waves or if you can break down the sound of waves or especially a recording of waves into just like different kinds of EQ'd noise, why do we hate like synthetic noise so much and love the sound of waves? Like why does the natural thing, why is the natural thing more aesthetically like calming to us than a synthetic thing? And what I did was I like cut between um, synthetic noise and recordings, like a really, really high quality recording of waves and jumped back and forth kind of arrhythmically to like confuse the listener to be like, what am I listening to? Am I listening to fake noise or real waves? And I don't know. I mean, you'd have to listen to it to tell what you think. But I mean, I, I, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I, I'm just thinking about noise and, and how much noise is like a problem in in especially people who live in cities on our psyche and yet we crave the opportunity to go to the beach and just like zone out. I don't know. It's just like, it's so funny that like sonically, like mathematically frequency bands, all that stuff, wave recordings, you can snapshot a wave recording and you're essentially listening to noise. You know what I mean? It's just right. like, yeah. maybe it's when they come in or like how often they come in or like what is rhythmically happening. And, and all I can say is that like, it's because you have, a real physical place whether it's fake or not fake if you're with the intention to create a space like i'm at the beach then that's the aesthetic thing mm -hmm. i don't know you're talking yeah. about the waves thing and i just remembered that piece i did for them and i was like oh yeah i forgot how like how messed up that made me as i was thinking about it like <laughs> what does it mean noise you know <laughs> 
and you're sitting there like the hearing away. Yeah, I, what I did was I panned, I panned one, one to the left and one to the right. It literally in one ear. And, <laughs> and I was like trying to flip between them. Like, okay, how do I make this synthetic noise sound just like this wave? And I was like, Shh, sh. it was it was like bad. <laughs> like I was I, I worked on it for like six hours, and I was like, in go. Ksh, 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 <gasps> it's not right. It's not right. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So that was a piece that Nico did on waves for cities and memories. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to give people a chance to hear some of your music. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm thinking maybe we can listen to like two more tracks. Yeah, that's perfect. I really love the what Sonaf. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is so there that a is, yeah, I'll tell you what that is. That, um, that stands for Sounds of North American Frogs. And the reason I made that was because Folkways, which is the record label that operates out of my office where I work for the Smithsonian, I like transfer audio tapes of theirs from the 80s and they're, they're re-releasing records that they put out in the 70s. I don't know if they're, they've done it yet or, or they're going to, but um, the... Sounds of North American Frogs is one of the first recordings that they that they put out as folkways back in the fifties, and it's recordings in, on, you know, analog equipment from the nineteen fifties. We're talking about field recordings of frog sounds, and the guy who made it did so much work, like cate categorizing them and cataloging which frogs were which and taking pictures and everything. And it's a kick-ass like you know release, and they're releasing it on vinyl, and. In tandem with that, they're also releasing one of the coolest. The frog thing is like probably the most historic release from Folkways, but the coolest rec recording that they did that's slightly related is by a sound artist named Anne McMillan, who was like connected somehow to Pierre Schaefer. So there's like this music concrete connection and stuff. But she is like a pioneer in tape manipulation. And she was one of the first people to. Um, like really work with nature sounds and like play them backwards and play them at slower speeds and layer them on top of each other and cut quickly between different sounds. And she has a piece called Amber 73, I think. And so the joke is that Sounds of North American Frogs, it's 2019, her piece is Amber, and I'm using the same techniques that she used, but I'm not cutting tape because, surprise, surprise, we're not cutting tape anymore. Even the vinyl release of both of those is a digital is a digital version of the tapes that has then been translated into analog. So you, I mean, it's high quality, but it's like all the stuff we're working with now is digital. So that the kind of joke there is that yeah, it's sounds of North American frogs, but the manipulations that I'm doing mimic what she's doing. Mm -hmm. All the techniques that I'm doing are the same as what she would have done with tape, but it was way easier for me to do it first and foremost because I just right. had to write it like a few like, you know, lines of code or whatever in order to make it happen. But, um, but I'm working with the digital audio too. In fact, I'm working with MP3 rips. So just like kind of breaking down that idea of like, yeah, these recordings are from the fifties. The, the recordings are from the fifties, the techniques are from the seventies, but the re-release for both of those records is digital on analog. And I'm here doing the same techniques that was done analog back in the seventies, but with digital code. So it's like, wow, just a mix and match of digital and analog, which is of course the whole point of my job at the Smithsonian is like to make digital preservation copies of, of their analog stuff. So it's like, I don't know. I, I mean, you think about that and think like, oh, digital is flawed in a lot of ways, but like it's where we're living right now. It's 2019. We just kind of right. got to do what we can do, you know, and, and kind of play around that. Yeah, and there's that whole argument of like, well, we're going to digitize it, but then 
there that format isn't even going to be relevant in the future so then you're going to have to do another one so then like yeah so what have are I told we you... even doing or like what if yeah. the clouds all implode you know yeah I, I had a conversation with an archivist this was probably years ago now like right when I was getting into this field and I probably won't stay in this field forever but um uh, right when I was getting into archiving one of the things one of the conversations that like I fired me up so much was like even if you become a digitizer it's not the end of the world or a digitization technician or whatever the fuck I'm called um, it's not the end. It's not the end of the thing because as we get bigger and bigger and bigger, storage size gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and, and digital becomes more and more and more and more complex. And eventually, we'll get to a point where data storage. And I was like, okay, okay, data storage is as complex as DNA, and instead of deteriorating, the sound will mutate. And I was like, what? And she, and she was like, yeah. This archivist I was talking. She was like, she was like, yeah analog digital dna and i was like what (laughs) (laughs) you're like i'm in my early 20s there's so much i don't know yet yeah no it blew me away it totally blew me away right so i mean yeah we just have no idea what it's going to be next i mean it's not going to be dna it might be it might not be point is is that it could be literally anything and even the right. even the like the people who are running this field don't know <laughs> what it could be, you know. Right on. Yeah, I mean, when you think about from the beginning when they first started recording, mm-hmm. you know, when people were recording on wax cylinders till now, when mm-hmm. you look at this, like, in the scheme of all of history, it's not been that long. Oh my god! You know, and oh things have just been the growth. And the speed has just been exponential. And so, like, yeah, who knows what's going to happen? And that's what's so, like, great about, like, thinking critically about what we do as musicians when we have the opportunity to record sound. So it's uh, it's made in pure data, which is you might know Max MSP. It's like a pretty famous program that was developed in the '80s, like for early computer music. It was one of the mm-hmm. first like visual programming languages that was like geared toward sound, and like mostly contemporary classical musicians use it. Max MSP, but Max MSP is expensive and. <laughs> And I think the person who made Max MSP knew that and recognized that or when it was called Max, they recognized it and they were like, um, the point of me making this was not so that it would be just for the um, uh, the kinds of places that would have the massive wall-sized computers to process this stuff. And as computers got smaller in the 90s, they were like, oh, I can, I can do this for free i can make this program free and that's when they made pure data which is essentially max but a, f- a free version and and what that means is that there's tons of forums online about how to use it which i love when you've got a community around around this stuff which is tough to learn like i'm not going to lie to you coding is really hard and 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 programming like speed changes or you know reverse playback or you know, even just the basics of like loading sound files or, um, you know, 
quick cuts and loops and stuff like that. Just programming that to begin with is like not easy, but having the forums and having it be a free program that's downloadable and that is super small, that like doesn't blow up my computer. Like I can write patches and they're essentially text files and they're tiny. And the only, like, like a hundred, like I want to say like 98% of the file sizes for these patches is the audio itself. And like, less than two percent is is the program which you don't see for pro tools pro tools is huge yeah that yeah. over <laughs> overwhelms my computer daily <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so i i can recommend pure data for somebody who's got an interest in coding but not an eye for like the visual data programming languages like mm. i don't know people use a ton of different things like I've, I've been doing a little bit of video games sound design recently and um there's programs like fmod and people use python and like all this stuff that's like like uh, text like writing text it's like crazy complex to me because i can't visualize where things are going but with pure data you're working with squares and boxes and circles and like sliders which mm-hmm. feels so much more tactile to me even if it is yeah i'm coding but having that tactile look to it is really nice. And it was, it's probably because I was spending so much time in pure data. First of all, I was like tired of coding. And second of all, using that kind of visual programming language is probably what it gave me the confidence to, you know, put down the couple hundred dollars I needed to put down to get a modular system and get a modular system, get that ball rolling because, um, modular is so much like pure data. Yeah. I've seen, uh, videos and, Actually, I've seen a couple people who created pieces in pure data. Oh, um, really? You know, with the boxes. Yeah, yeah, you know what it looks like, yeah. Lines. Yeah, some of my classmates did it um, over at the conservatory. Yeah, so it looks totally different I've than seen... most programming. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of middle school when... Really? Well, you know when you learn how to make those flow charts? Oh my God, yes. For your ideas, and they're like, okay, this is how you write an essay, and we're doing bubble <laughs> charts. As a visual learner, those were so helpful to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so seeing the layout of thing, you know, things in boxes and, and the slider, and that's phenomenal. And I I feel like pretty accessible then. I, it's because like, it helps oh visual God, learners. It's so accessible. I've been at work, and there's like sometimes downtime while I'm like putting a tape on or whatever, listening to a tape, and I've got a little bit of downtime. And I've sketched out pure data patches on like scratch paper. And like, you can't do that. You can't do that with scripts. Like you just cannot. Right. I, I, I mean, it's it, it, the visual learner thing. Yeah. I mean, that's totally real. And if that's how you learn, that's how you learn. But just like the usability, like whether, however you learn, like just the fact that it's so usable right? Um, inside and outside the program is really, really nice. The, the things that are different between the modular system and pure data with regard to like what I'm able to do with my skill set is really apparent between the sounds of North American frogs stuff and the ice kingdom talent, which is like I made in like 20 minutes. Whereas I spent hours oh, coding. Really? I spent hours coding that sounds of North American frogs thing. And, and I made, I, I made the ice kingdom town in 20 minutes. So it's like, just like that freedom of being able to turn knobs and, and the, the different sounds it's, it's a lot more atmospheric Mm-hmm. Um, which is this is a symptom of the module that I'm using, but um, but yeah, just like with if we're talking about usability, like I think that that one is a really clear example of like the experience of making electronic music, which is I don't feel like people talk about that enough because yeah, we're human beings. Like even if we're programming, we're still human and we still work. You know, we're still workers. You know, at the end of the day, what do you prefer to work on right now? Because you are stuff, using some down. of the modular, yeah. Yeah, okay. the the modular hardware is so easy to use. Like it's stupid, and and it's like I have to learn a lot. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like I'm still doing as much research as I was doing with Pure Data, because right. the way that control voltage works is really kind of complex. But but the actual physical doing of the thing it feels so much more performative, and it's reminding me of how it feels to play the flute, and that is really kind of like. It's the first time that I've had that feeling in a really long time. To be able to, you know, once you're exploring a new medium, to then be able to replicate that feeling, the joy and, mm-hmm. you know, the overwhelming emotions that come from performing. Yeah. It happened That's to me once. Irreplaceable. With the, I was I was working with the sounds of 
I, I recorded like a bushfire. I had come across one of those and I set the recorder up and I was like trying to get out of the smoke part of it so that I wouldn't stink afterward and that my, so that my recorder wouldn't just totally stink for the rest of like, you know, the windscreen on it. I was like, oh, curious. but, but it was a huge fire. Right. And, um, like kind of sounds as well as the of the crinkling. And I ran that through the modular and my God, like I was, I was totally, totally blown away about, it, you pitch it down, you pitch, you play around with the pitch of it, which is a technique from tape, um, and and those like whoosh, whoosh, whoosh sounds become just like rolling, like bubbling kind of underneath sounds that aren't almost aren't human hearable, and those things of the cracking of the things become like like real twigs, as if you're walking through this soup of like sounds and i'm like how that doesn't exist like it's fire but the thing that i made just does not exist you know and that was just pitch modulation so like or just speed modulation so it's like damn i I was just blown away and you get those moments when you play with other people when you play music with other people Mm -hmm. and you're like what i'm doing oh you did you just did something that like surprised me to no end and what i'm doing now means so much more because of that I don't know. I'm thinking about That's isolation beautiful. and thinking about playing alone, but but yeah, when you're building ecosystems and you're trying to like break that down and think about that and think about how these things are interacting. Yeah, that's the thing that's been the most fun for me recently. So because Vampire is a Bay-based platform, um, and you and I are both Bay kids. I wanted to ask you, how did growing up in the Bay Area influence your musical life? So we've been talking about the modular system a lot, and it's worth saying, because so many people talk about, like, this these systems as, like, Moog and, like, the East Coast filtering modular stuff, like... It's actually not where this came from. It came out of a studio in Berkeley. All the technology that I'm working with now is direct descendant of a, of a studio in Berkeley in the 1960s, ran by Don Buchla and so much, so much respect. Suzanne Chani also got to shout her out big time, especially as Italian-American woman, musician, like uh, uh, engineer, all this other stuff. She's amazing. And she's still around. And she just started performing again with electronic music. So if you haven't checked out Suzanne Chani, get it together because you can learn so much about electronic music, so much about what it means to perform in spaces using electronic music, how that is meant to feel. She's in her 70s now and she is touring with the modular. So she's definitely somebody who I'm awesome. about. But, but she also from California. Don Buchla, who is the person who was studio she was working with uh based out of berkeley so and and i actually went uh have you ever been to the chapel of the chimes they do like a uh, it's in oakland they do like a once a year kind of like experimental music day and it's this wild if you're in oakland and i wish i was in oakland because i'd be going to this every year um it's like hippy dippy kind of wild like space um with like probably 30 40 different alcoves and it's built as like a mausoleum kind of space mm. it's right by the um the, it's like right south of the big cemetery in oakland kind of near piedmont and it's in the grand hu- area yeah yeah yeah. It, it's this huge complex of like different spaces you just walk up this like slope of different like marble rooms and they do it once a year and it's just they just fill it with music experimental music mostly a lot of electronic music and i was there two or three years ago when um don buchla just died like that year and they did a tribute to him and they brought out a bunch of his equipment which is a tragic story really because he got to a certain age and then they sold a bunch of his like patents and stuff and anyway but they gathered a bunch of his equipment and they did like a huge performance like a couple hours and that people were just playing with his stuff and like trying to make sounds and like trying to make it make sense. And, uh, and I saw that and I was like, wow, I, 
didn't realize this was such a huge part of, of you know, the Bay Area's history. I didn't even know, really, because it's not what I grew up with. When I was in the Bay Area, I was just playing flute. I was just playing flute and played a little bass here and there, but but really I was just going out and playing flute because that was the community that I was raised in musically was like, I mean, we were playing shows in the mission. We were playing Latin music, you know, that was what was happening in the mission at that time. So I was playing flute. That's why I picked up the flute so I could play like that. And, you know, missions changed a lot. Yeah, definitely. O- Oakland too. But, <laughs> but anyways, now that I'm getting into modular, it's like reminding me like, Oh man, that was going on too back in the sixties, you know? <laughs> yeah right on like those roots run deep here in the bay and yeah that's that's really it's good to know that it's still around in some form though yeah yeah yeah, you know with all the changes happening Mm -hmm. really it's bay-wide not just san francisco Mm. i mean as you know but with the bay-wide changes all happening and so rapidly it's nice to know that you know musically we do have some of that history Mm -hmm. still here we're talking about physical spaces. We're talking about the difference between waves and noise and how important feeling present and welcome in, in spaces, physical spaces can be to, you know, a human person and how we, how we feel when we walk around the world and all that stuff. Like that's all really important. And when you have venues shutting down and these kind of things, like that's a direct attack on that feeling because, you know, Sometimes that's the only place you can get that feeling. So, I I mean, what I'm doing is a lot of it's in my computer and it has recently spread out to be in that small modular system that I have just enough money to, you know know what I mean? Like, it's like to keep up and, okay, so I'm doing what I can to like play around with that feeling and, and see what I can do. But I don't know. I mean, there's some people who are finding ways to do that in, in like the digital realm. I, I know ASMR has really helped people with like mental illness and, and struggling through just like the toughness that is capitalism. And um, so there are things that we can do to make better those things, but it comes down to organizing really like when the housing justice stuff and it comes down to like, I don't know, like doing urbanism, right. <laughs> you know, which is, <laughs> It's it, it, it what it comes down to is like actually involving communities. Right. And and having conversations right. about like, what do you need? Like if we're going to develop here, we need to make sure that we do it so that it helps you, not so that it kicks you out. Like and that's doable. <laughs> like it, it just all it takes is a conversation. And I remember Ed Lee just like never did that. But the point is, is that they're not going into the communities and developing with the not just permission, but with the ideas of the people who actually live in these places. Right. Yeah. And thus changing the environment, changing, Yeah. you know, their, their surroundings. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. It got uh, big. This conversation got big. Dude. We just kind of <laughs> went a lot of places. Um, I'll probably pare it down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just wanted to thank you, you know, for taking the time um, to catch up and let me you know, pick your brain about what you're doing right now. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, it's scary. It's like, can I do this in, in a way that makes sense for my own life and my timeline? And, and where could these end up? Like what what I'm making? Like, And I've, I've been playing around with video game stuff and I've been playing around with, you know, like exhibit stuff in, in museums and I've been playing around with like stuff online, ASMR stuff. I don't know, like these these sounds they could end up in so many different places but as long as that driving core is still there that's like about space and about ecosystems and about making things that systematically make sense some of that's from tarot some of the numerology stuff and and how things fit together i don't know as long as that's there it doesn't matter where these things end up like just the fact that i'm making them is good for me and it's hopefully good for the people who listen to them (laughs) definitely and so could you share with folks where can they listen to your yeah so i mean i've got a soundcloud like i said things go everywhere like (laughs) there's going to be a video game out i don't i don't know yet what it's called because it hasn't been made yet but once that's out i'll post it to a website nicolascalarisound.neocities.org which is the fun one that you mentioned earlier but yeah there's a sound there's a soundcloud and scolari as well and um Bandcamp where I'm going to be putting the modular stuff, which is Nicholas Galeri, 
www.bandcamp.com and that's just that's just modular soundscapes and that'll be the place where i put the soundscapes for the video game and whatever other sound design stuff i do um with that system is going to be on the Bandcamp. yeah that's where you can find me thank you so much nico thank you this has been great